Welcome to the Gary Aid Show on the Cave. Available at ktalkradio.com, the Talk Radio app, Apple CarPlay, or by saying, hey Alexa, play Talk Radio. Want to join in the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. Call us at 845-734-CAVE. Now, here's your host, Gary Aid. It's time to get things off your chest, Gary. What's this lying around shit? Well, what the hell is supposed to do, you moron? War's over, man. Wormer dropped the big one. What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Germans? Forget it, he's rolling. Keep on rolling, Gary. Keep on rolling with that rant. It's the one and only Gary Aid Rant on Cave Talk Radio. Alrighty, yes it is. It's the opening rant here on the Gary Aid Show. And I've been talking about Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves for a long time. We'll get to Brooklyn in just a second. If you were up to watch some of that game last night, let me tell you something. Uh, you were you were engaged. That game was fun. It was explosive. It was energetic. I have to say, though, I was very disappointed with the announcing quality. Uh, Kevin Harlan was off his game. There, it, about six times I counted, he had long pauses where he didn't seem to know who the player was. He, he got a couple of things wrong throughout the game, uh, basic things. Uh, it's very weird, but that aside, that game last night was just unbelievable. You, I, I'll make a case that in that matchup between Memphis and Minnesota coming up in the first round of the playoffs in the West, you have two of the three best guards in the NBA over the next four seasons. The, the, those guys are Anthony Edwards and John Morant. The third one in that mix would be Luka Doncic, of course, of, of Dallas. Um, those three guys, in my opinion... Along with, I like Jamal Murray. We'll see what he looks like when he finally comes back. But those three guys, especially, I think are guys who are going to carry this league forward over the next decade. I mean, Luka is obvious. That's already kind of been established. John Morant well on his way this year. Last night was the coming out party for Anthony Edwards. And for anyone that listens to the show, Dave and I talk about him a lot. Um, It wasn't a big surprise to either of us to see him go off like that. But I got to tell you this. I don't even know that he's not already the best player in that team. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, let's call it what it is. He's been in the league a long time now, you know, going on a decade. He's like seven years in the league or something like this. And what's he done? He's been to the playoffs now twice. And in that whole time, he's been nothing but a colossal disappointment. He looked weak, overmatched, and uninterested against Houston, who was basically begging him to dunk on them by guarding him with like a six-six guy, and they just and he wouldn't do it. And last night he's just he, like people say, well, he was in foul trouble. Yeah, but there's different types of foul trouble. There's foul trouble where you know you get a couple of bad breaks and it puts you behind the eight ball, and there's foul trouble where you just do stupid things. And last night he just did stupid things. I went back and watched this, Dave. There was at least three of those first four fouls were things that like you don't do. And if you want to say, oh, the first one, you know, whatever, because it's your first foul, fine. But then once you have a foul early like he did, to continue to make the, I mean, he was lowering his shoulder. He was out of control. He was practically begging the ref to call fouls on him. If, it, if I didn't know any better, 
I would think he wanted no part of that game and wanted an excuse to be on the bench. I mean, he looked like he was trying to get himself in foul trouble. He really did. I'm watching this, and I'm like, what are you doing? And I think the the um, uh, Barkley, I think, made a point of it during halftime. He said, these are stupid fouls. Like, he said, these are fouls that you shouldn't be making. And then he also pointed some blame at the coach um, for, for Minnesota. Uh, and I agree, like, you can't leave him in when he's got three fouls in whatever it was, the first quarter, and he picks up another one, like, like, what are you doing? And then Edwards picks up three, so there was a lot of crazy last night, but Minnesota survives anyway, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and that was the other thing last night that I was kind of surprised by. I know why Pat Beverly was a storyline, and certainly he had an impact in his game, but they must have said six times he's the most impactful player on this ge- on this team, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like he made an impact, sure. I get he's an emotional leader and a lightning rod, and I I understand all that, and that that is incredible value, and I don't think that's uh, light. But let's not overstate it. The most impactful player on the game last night was Anthony Edwards, followed closely by D'Angelo Russell. Those guys carried a team without their supposed best player who, let's just put it as it is, completely shit the bed. Um, They they carried that team to a win, and their first playoff berth, that was the other thing. They said their first playoff, Harlan again, was like their first playoff berth since 2004. Like, that didn't happen with Jimmy Butler in 2018 or whatever that was. Like, so, the announcing crew was off last night. That was one observation I had, like, really off. Um, for a guy as good as Harlan, it was very strange. Um, I almost felt like he wasn't supposed to, maybe he wasn't supposed to call that game and he was thrown into it the last second and just did, never got his bearings, I don't know. But... Um, I noticed that stuff, but whatever the case is, the game itself, really, I, I think the Timberwolves got away with some things. I really do. I mean, it it wasn't a clean game in the sense of, like, proper execution and, and fundamental strategy, but it was an absolutely exciting game. A lot of shot-making, incredible intensity, and like I said, you saw the birth of a superstar right in front of your eyes mark my words this kid anthony edwards is this generation's Dwayne wade uh, this ca- this kid is an absolute stud i've been telling you all year dave knows this um it's no no news to us but do yourself a favor watch more timberwolves games from now on this guy is amazing and that series of memphis dave absolutely no question about it my number one first round matchup i don't even care the, the re- results of tonight's games are irrelevant on that. That matchup, I will not miss a game. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I think the Timberwolves knock them off. Before we knew the matchups, I think we chatted about, you know, the, the teams that were going to make it. We kind of had an idea a week or so ago as to what the standings would be. Memphis is my team. I, I want to watch them. I'm excited for their, their growth forward. I think they still need to go through some bumps and bruises to, to be there with Phoenix. I think they get knocked out by Minnesota. I, I really believe Towns, once he gets his bearings back, um, and, and you know, when I watched both those games last night, I watched the, the Brooklyn game in total with Cleveland, and then admittedly I missed like the first few minutes of the Minnesota Clippers game because I was doing post-game write-up, and um, I came out and like Towns already had three fouls and Edwards had two, and I was like, what the heck happened <laughs> yeah. in the beginning? It was it was insane, but I like in those two games like it's almost like the NCAA tournament. NBA is not used to playing one and done. 
and this is more or less a one-and-done situation, even though the two losing teams get to play again. That's the mentality. And when one-and-done is the case, you lose that long-term, you know, let's methodically try stuff, let's make adjustments for game two, and it's more of a chess match. This is like speed chess, and you see crazy stuff happen, like, you know, guys playing with, you know, getting four fouls in the first half and, you know, random superstars coming out. Like last night we saw Bruce Brown in the first game, 19 points, I think it was nine rebounds, eight assists. I mean, they were going through him. Kyrie and Durant did miss a shot in the first half. Cleveland overcame a 20-point first quarter deficit to cut it to five at one point but never could take the lead. And in the second game, I think Ty Lue was one of the best tacticians. I think for him to win that game, he had to make it a little ugly. And he, he certainly did his part there. But he's got some good veterans. I, I see them winning game two. And uh, I, I would never want to have a Ty Lue matchup in round one. I think Phoenix will be okay with matching the Clippers. Uh, but they certainly will bring about weaknesses. I'm sorry, in Phoenix, they'll bring about weaknesses in Phoenix that other teams will be able to use in round two and three. But I, I, I think Minnesota upsets Memphis um, in that series, that first round series, and it'll be sad because I, like you said, it's. it's I want to see those exciting young players play throughout. Russell and Edwards, that's a big backcourt. You're it talking is. six, four, six, five, big, strong bodies. Yep. Russell's only 26 years old. Yep. People think he's been in the league for like. I mean, he has been in the league since he was 19. But he's been bounced, 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 and kind of, you know, sent Alcatraz out there in Minnesota. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> making, much. Making that lock on Opaw. Um, mm-hmm. But he's a lefty scorer. He can play either guard spot. Edwards is a bull. I mean, he's they they play him at small forward because he's so big and strong, and he can he can handle it defensively. But if Towns gets going, I mean, think about it. That team scored 109 points really without Towns. And with Towns in, even if he doesn't score, he demands that double team. And uh, you saw, I think the guy that got hit the hardest was Vanderbilt because uh, Vanderbilt's a tremendous shooter. And, and I like McDaniels as a defensive player off the bench. Beasley does well for them, too, as a guard off the bench. But without Towns in there, it allows teams to get out, spread out a little bit, take away the three-point shot from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they probably, they, they potentially got could have got hit there hard last night. But Edwards was 5 for 11 from three. Russell, 3 for 5. So 8 for 16 between those two. Great shooting. Um, and then Beasley off the bench with three. So their guard play, 11-3 last night. And to me, that's the difference in a close game like that. 33 points between just those three guys from the three-point line made up for Towns not oh, being a factor. What a game. And, and regarding your prediction on the upset of Memphis, um, I don't know that I'm there with you just yet. And the reason, I have basically two reasons for that. Um I have to see Towns play to his ability level in the playoffs. I have to see him do it. And I don't think he's going to against Memphis because I think Memphis, more so than uh, the Clippers, ha- have guys to to frustrate him. I mean, the Clippers have Zubats, but the Wolves, I'm sorry, the Grizzlies have Jackson. They got... Um, uh, was it uh is it Valanciunas? No, he's he's not there anymore. But I mean they they, uh, they got uh Adams like they they got some guys there that are that are big time players. I especially Jackson. To me, Jaron Jackson is uh and I feel like the Grizzlies have a little bit more front court depth and have some of the same offensive explosiveness with with Bain and and of course Ja to kind of offset. The Timberwolves, I, I, I think Grizz, the Grizzlies are a little bit better. Um, I, I think that they're a little bit more complete. Um, the, the thing that's going to be interesting, and I think this was a good point you brought up, Dave. Where do you, 
which team, because they're both so young, which team plays more under control, more consistently? Uh, because you're going to see a lot of these, um, a lot of these uh, runs where both teams are playing 100 miles an hour. So which team is able to kind of slow it down and play with pace without being in a hurry? And I think that's going to be the difference in this series, uh, me personally, um, because I think they're good. They're, it's a good matchup. Yeah, so it's that's a great point. With so with that this first round matchup, this is, I like this play and stuff. In the beginning, I was against it, but this play and stuff is like a sprint. It's just you know throw everything out and just see what see what happens. You got to survive in advance, like the tournament. But when you get into the seven game series, now it's a war of attrition. Now it's a slow down, methodical. You know, you're playing for seven games. You're not right. playing a you know a quick knockout punch. And with with Minnesota. You know, and I'll, I'll take it to actually to, you know, Boston, Brooklyn. We were talking about yeah. that off the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an, that's an easier probably series to kind of break down and see who, who's going to have success. But in these games, like when we were doing post game last night, the first thing I look at for Cleveland and Brooklyn, did my best players get the shots that they can make and they wanted in the areas that they wanted them? And did they take the most shots? And in games that those two teams have lost, now we haven't seen a lot of Irving and Durant together this year but the games that boston loses it's where tatum who is right i mean he's their number one guy he's their 1a where tatum's either not getting the most shots or having to fight teammates to get the shots he wants and is taking him in other areas and same with brown and then i look to a guy like marcus smart who i love defensively and i think he's a good you know fourth fifth scorer for them i think white's a better scorer off the bench but if brown and tatum if they just say, we're going to get you guys the shots where you want, in the areas you want them, and you're not going to have to battle us for them. Boston's tough. The games they lose is because of that. And I look to Minnesota and Memphis, two young teams. Whichever team identifies very clearly that, okay, these two guys are going to get our shots. This is where we're going to get them. If they can do that, and then the other, the flip side, if the defense, whichever defense takes that away, like if they say, okay, Jaws just not going to get shots going right to left across the middle of the court. That's, that's his big thing. He, he'll, he, he shakes you right. He comes left across the court. He, he's got that great ability to leap backwards to create space on his, on his mid range. Or if he doesn't, he gets by and dunks on you. So the, the team that can win that battle and then the battle, in that first round with young teams, it's a mature thing to do. And, and I don't know which team has the maturity because they're both babies, but that'll be what I'll be looking for in that matchup. But Town, Towns is a key, right? He's he's the seven-footer. He's the the all-star. So we'll we'll see if he's the all-star. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm really starting to lose confidence in Carl Anthony Towns in that respect. Um, I, I, I see fear, weakness, and timidness all over his face in all of these games i really do like i i just don't see a player who believes he's as good as he is uh in these situations and that is a big concern to me because i mean like i said those fouls most of them were completely his fault like they were completely just you don't do that type of fouls regarding brooklyn I got to tell you, I mean, they 
played almost a perfect game. At least their top two guys did. Both guys played almost the whole game. Both played almost perfect. And they just barely beat a Cleveland team without their second best player. I don't like their chances against Brooklyn. I, I think that's a five-game series. Uh, against Boston, rather. I think that's a five-game series, six at the most. I, I, I won't be surprised if, if Boston really puts it to them. I, I just think that Brooklyn is what they've been for the last few years, which is overly reliant on their top two people. And, you know, obviously every team is heavily reliant. That's how the NBA is. I understand that. But they, they take it to a different level because, like, if you have to have your two best players play almost the entire game and play like basically perfect to the peak of their abilities that whole time, and you're going to require that basically throughout the entire playoffs to win, that's what we saw happen with the uh, Rockets a few years ago, right? Like, if Mike D'Antoni had any brains and gave Chris Paul even just a few minutes of rest at some point during all these games leading up to when he got injured, he probably doesn't get injured, and they probably win that year. Right, like, and Steve Nash is a chip off the old block. He he did the same thing with Kevin Durant in last year's playoffs. He led him to death, and he threw up a, a short air ball at the end because he was gassed. If 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 he gets two minutes of rest a game more, that shot goes in. Like so, to me, that's gonna be the that's gonna be the telltale sign of this series. I trust Udoka and the Boston rotation more to get Brown and Tatum, those two guys in particular, instead of playing them 46 minutes, they played them 41. Or instead of playing them 45 minutes, they play them 39. That that little bit that little bit of difference, those couple of minutes, is everything. Because you have to find those minutes, and it's hard, obviously, in the playoffs, to, to find those minutes for those guys because every possession is so magnified. But that's what great coaches and great winning teams do. Like, y you have to find those minutes where you get those guys that breather. And Nash has not proven to be able to do that. Then Tony didn't do that in Houston or Phoenix for that matter, or the Lakers or Philadelphia. Um so I don't expect Nash to start now. And I think that's the difference in this series. I think Brooklyn plays better in the earlier games and I think we start seeing them fade as the series goes on. I think this is over and I'm gonna I'll give him credit for two wins. I'm gonna say this is a six game series. I think Boston is the better team based on wearing them out. I think the Brooklyn is going to rely too much on two guys, and I think they're going to be just tired enough that Boston's able to win close games near the end of the series and move on. That's my prediction. Boy, you're crushing Kevin Harlan today, Carl Anthony Towns, and somehow Dan Tony got in the mix and Steve Nash. So you, you, you got your money's worth on your rant today. Oh, man, I, I, I told you I was ready. I mean, like, the, the thing is, like... I watched that game, and I mean Cleveland. To me, I, I and I don't know if I said this on the air yesterday. I think I might have, but I actually put some money on um, Brooklyn to win that game and cover what was a rather big spread, like a nine and a half point spread, because I yeah. thought they were going to go and kill them. Yeah. Um, no, you won. You did. You, you got beat on that, right? I, I got beat on that. Yeah, they yeah. they only won by like six or something. I thought they were going to go and kill them because, on a matchup standpoint, they should have. Um, but you know that's and that's my thing with this team. I think they're very, very, very beatable. I think they're a very flawed team. I've never believed in this roster from the time it was constructed, and I've seen nothing to change my mind. 
Um, they they have to get almost perfection from their top two guys in order to win anything, and and that's just not always going to happen. I, I think it, it's that that's the problem. Isn't that the kicker though? You finally went with Brooklyn and you lost money on it. I love that. I know. Isn't that, that uh, isn't that wonderful? I wish you, that would have been like we could have just ended it right there. That's uh, so I'm I'm officially rooting for Brooklyn because I want to I want to hear your your agitation day to day. And my two daughters just came down with. They pulled up the Lion, Lion King song, Hakuna Matata, and they said, Gary needs to have this on his playlist in the morning. And he, <laughs> no worries. He's too angry. Like, <laughs> Thank you, girls, for that. I appreciate too that. Too angry. Right. Hakuna Matata. All right. Hey, you know what? I don't know about the Hakuna Matata, but uh, we can cook up Pumbaa, and we can uh, have a nice uh, pig roast. I'm down with oh. that. Oh, jeez. And you say that right before we, we've got uh, we've got yeah. Officer Scott coming on for our speed trap right now. That's and, right. And, he should be calling in in a couple seconds. All right, well, let's go ahead and get to the break then. We'll get to Officer Scott. Here's the Anselmo update. It's the cave. It's April 13th. This is Cave Sports Rewind. I'm Rich Anselmo. On this day in 1962, fan favorite St. Louis Cardinal great Stan Musial scored his 1,869th career run, setting a new National League record. Musial will extend the record to 1949, which will stand until Barry Bonds breaks it and ultimately sets a new record at 2,227. On this day in 1963, Pete Rose triples for his first major league hit. On this day in 1984, Pete Rose becomes the first National League player to get 4,000 hits in a career. In the bottom of the eighth inning of the Pirates-Reds game on April 13, 1963, Cincinnati rookie Pete Rose, the day before his 22nd birthday, got his first hit. As it turns out, that triple off Pittsburgh's Bob Friend was the first of 4,256 hits that Rose would accrue in his major league career. That, of course, is a record. That methodical rambling toward that march began 58 years ago. Fast forward to 1984. Pete Rose, then playing for the Montreal Expos, gets his 4,000th career hit joining Ty Cobb as the only two players in Major League history to collect that many hits. This hit comes exactly 21 years after Rose collected his first. The sheer sprawl of Rose's 24-year playing career is astronomical. During his rookie campaign in 1963, Stan Musial was in his final season. In Rose's last Major League game in 1986, a pinch-hitting appearance, 22-year-old Barry Larkin was the Red starting shortstop. Talk about bridging a generation or three, or four. I'm Rich Anselmo, and this is The Cave, Orange County's Conversation Station. They happy now? Don't tell them I never gave them nothing. There you go. See? Look at that. Now let's see if we can get our buddy Scott Tracy on. Hey, I was talking to him just a little while ago. What's up, Scott? Scott? Gonna have to pull you into the interview room, Mister Aid. Oh no! What I do? Oh, sounds you sound pretty angry there. <laughs> well, you know, you know, we can't have a mild-mannered 
sports talk show host going off half cock talking about roasting people and oh, getting all upset. But you know what? I feel generous, so I'm going to give you a rare second chance. Ooh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yesterday, I asked you if you could be a professional or collegiate athlete mm-hmm. on any team, at any place, at any time in history, what, when, and where in history would you choose and why? Mm-hmm. Now, I caught you by surprise, and you went with your, your, your first or most instinctual answer, but I'm betting that you've given it some thought since we spoke yesterday. So I'm going to give you a second chance answer the same question yep now now that you've had time to think about it Mm -hmm. other than what you chose yesterday the same rules apply where what when and why and it doesn't have to be anything epic it can be just uh you know it can be a personal sporting indulgence or curiosity something you've always wondered about so in essence I'm giving you a chance to travel back in time twice. Where do you go, or when? See, um, my answer yesterday, honestly, is uh, is still very much in line. Um, I, I will say that if I'm going to choose another option, I think being a player on either the Boston Celtics or the L.A. Lakers in the 80s would have been a lot of fun. I mean, I I was saying during the show at some point yesterday, I think that is probably the zenith of competitive intensity and rivalry in the history of sports because if you really look at a lot of the famous rivalries, most of them aren't that rivalry-ish, meaning like a lot of times they're very lopsided. Like everyone talks about the Dodgers and Yankees rivalry of the 50s. Well, the Dodgers won one, the Yankees won 10. So I don't know how much of a rivalry that is. Like, and the same thing with like the Celtics and Lakers in the 60s. You know, Russell and the Celtics won everything. Uh, the, the Lakers got to nine finals and lost all of them right to the Celtics. So like that, but that one in the 80s, th- they were equals. And not only were they equals, they hated each other. And like, the fans were into it. The media was selling it. It resurrected a league. It brought a league to a new level. The competitive nature of it, the talent all over the place on both sides. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking probably like eight to 12 Hall of Famers between both teams. I mean, that was epic. So to be a part of that had to be special. Like, uh, that would be my other choice. Okay. Very good. Yeah, the league did use, uh, Work that rivalry for all was worth. That's for sure. Oh hell yeah, they did. They did. Mister D'Agostino, same question. Yeah, just so I understand, you, I was another guest. Then we get a second chance to go back in time and relive a sporting yep. event. Yep, but it doesn't have so, to be anything. You know, just a personal. You know, personal curiosity. I would go. Yeah. No, I, I kind of alluded to it yesterday. We, Gary and I had some fun with this after uh, you got off. I, I asked if you would, if you ever had the inkling to uh, feel what it was like to take a Mike Tyson punch back in his prime. <laughs> but uh, he said no. 
<laughs> said no. I was, I was setting up the office after that little parking garage thing to calm him down a little bit. But um, you, so you, mine would be. I, I tell you, remember. You would be able to remember yeah, right. that experience. He'd have to wake up to tell us about it. The uh, okay. so the mine would be uh, going back to the Great Depression, nineteen thirty-eight um, match race. You know, I love horse racing. Sea Biscuit versus War Admiral. War Admiral was considered like the perfect horse, and Sea Biscuit was kind of like the everyman's horse, smaller. Um, they sold out the grass area for him, which is where the you know the, the you pay less to get in there. It was the you know people paying two three dollars to get in there just to see it packed house, and a match race was a little uncommon. Just two horses, um, for, I think it was for a million dollars. And uh, go back in time, I'm a little too big for it, but if uh, if I was able to adjust height and weight i'd go back and i'd be the jockey on sea biscuit during that uh, match race had to be exciting listening to all those i know what it was like to be a, uh, an athlete playing baseball or basketball with fans cheering even even a coach uh, even though they're not cheering for you as much as they are yelling at you yeah but um to, to be on that race and, and just the times how everybody was down in their luck the stock market crashed uh, you know people were going to soup kitchens just to get a, a meal or two and uh where an entire nation rallied around that horse. Uh, so I would uh, take the, the place. I know Red Pollard got hurt before that. They put on the Iceman. It was his buddy. He rode him to victory. I would replace the Iceman and be the jockey on Seabiscuit to, to win that 1938 match race against War Admiral, the perfect horse, quote-unquote. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Very interesting. All right, Dave, while I've got you. You both seem to enjoy traveling back into the past, but now it's time to turn the tables. Let's fast forward 25 years from now. In the year 2047, what sport would you like to be an athlete in and why? 2047? Okay. 25 years um, I mean, yeah. I think all I'll qualify for them by then is golf. I mean, God, I going to still be able to move. Uh, uh, Let's say you were teleported. Teleported. You know what I mean. Okay, I'm teleported. Oh, cool. If you uh, could be an athlete in the future, yep. you know. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I think, I mean, for me, I think it would still probably be basketball. I mean, I, I think that ultimately basketball is a sport that's on uh great trajectory we were just talking about some of the great young talent i mean it sounds crazy but like you know someone like anthony edwards or luka Doncic, for example could be nearing the end of their career in that year you know they're both in their early 20s right now so it's not crazy to think that one of them might still be playing the last year or two of their career at that point um so i i i personally think basketball's off to a great trajectory over the next 20 years with some of the young talent that's in this league and I think that would be a great sport to be a part of right now. I think football is probably the least appealing because I don't know where football is going to be. I think a lot of these like uh, head injury things and all this other nonsense that people have gotten all worried about. Um, I oh, think hope that because that's my last question. Okay, all right. But but yeah, so, but, so you're going to go with baseball, basketball? Yeah, I'm going to go basketball. Uh, Mr. D'Agostino, same question to you. He kind of jumped on me. I was supposed to. Say, I was supposed to I was supposed to go first on that. He, uh, so Gary, he'd be like, he'd be like Fletch, right? You guys have seen Fletch before the movie where he dreams he's a Laker. He'd be, you know, he comes in, Fletch, six five, six nine with the afro. 
um, the newspaper reporter. So my, mine would be, um, I'm infatuated with this sport right now. We're actually going to start doing it this summer. And I'm a little scared because of, uh, you know, d- potential death always concerns me when I, anytime I do something, but, um, surfing, we're going to start doing surfing this summer. And, uh, you know, we're in a prime spot for it, uh, being down on the beach. So I would want to come back as a, whatever their circuit is, um, to, to be on the surfing circuit, uh, to, to, to give that a test. The, the little that we've, we've, uh, looked into so far, there seems to be such a rush, uh, when these guys, and it's, it's a culture, um, almost like when I did, I think oh, I shared it on the air, I did, I did an ultra marathon, 100.3 miles, and the running culture is just so different than the basketball or baseball culture, and because I've been engrossed in that for so long, um, I'm amazed by the different approaches and cultures with the different sports. So the surfing culture is kind of drawing us in right now, maybe because we're in the sunshine all year and on the beach. But uh, that would be, you, you teleport me, that's what I'd be doing. Okay. <laughs> you kind of threw me with the surfing answer, but... Yeah, that was intentional. <laughs> what are the biggest changes... <laughs> Way to be on that one. I'm ready, man. Put that in a piece for you. <laughs> what are the biggest changes you expect to see in more mainstream professional sports athletics 25 years from now? How do you think they'll have changed? Mm. Well, you talking me or Dave? Uh, Dave. Okay. I, th- I think we're going to go. I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to come full circle, and it's going to get less about the electronics and the robotics and the AI and the analytics. I think we're going to, and that, at that point in time, now we're going to go. We're going through a phase now, and it's going to keep rolling. But I think we're going to get back to. We're going to get to a point where it's just overblown, and we're going to get back to humans doing human things, playing sports, eliminate the electronics. Let's make it about a bat and a ball and a glove. You know, let's take the earpieces out. Let's take the uh, automatic umpires out. You know, let's take the what will eventually be. You'll eventually see an automated catcher back there or, shoot, maybe an even automated pitcher. So um, I think we're going to come full circle with that stuff. And in the future, we're going to see less electronics, less AI, less analytics, uh, less of all that. And we're going to get back to humans just just for the sport of it, pardon the pun, uh, you know, playing sports like it used to be. It's going to become a, it's going to become as much a novelty as the, um, electronics are nowadays in the robotics. So humans playing human sports. Very good. Everything old is new again. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Garrett? Well, I um, I think that we're going to get to a point with uh, football where it's almost unrecognizable. I don't think the league can satiate its fear of litigation and lawsuits with regard to CTE and injuries and I think they're going to continue to chase their tail to their own detriment and they're going to change the game to such a degree that it's going to be almost unrecognizable but still not safe uh, because I think that ultimately this uh, idea that you can make football safe is a fallacy Um, and I think that ultimately we're going to um, and what they're going to do with them sounding the alarm the way they are constantly and and playing into those fears of litigation they're creating fear that trickles to the lower levels and I think you're going to constantly see more of the top athletes choosing other sports 
um, because their parents won't let them play particular sports. Um, I think you're going to see in football what we now see in boxing. We were joking about it yesterday, but it's the truth. You have to be a little crazy to be a boxer. Um, and truthfully, what that usually means is you have to have no other options. And so I think you're going to see a, fewer athletes with options choosing football over the long term. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking the same thing along the lines with football with the, with, with the head injuries and whatnot. How is that game going to look? How are, how are they going to change the rules? You know, the entire, the way it's played, you're right, is probably going to be virtually unrecognizable. But um, do, you, do you guys know the sport with the second most concussions in it? Soccer. Uh, 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 soccer. Close, it's third. Because they took, they took the heading out of youth, youth soccer. Volleyball, <laughs> yeah. Volleyball's got the second most concussions of any sport. Or you think a little bit of baseball because it's, you know, you get the catcher and people wrapping foul balls backwards off their head. But yeah, volleyball and then soccer and then cheerleading if it's considered a sport. Second, I guess too many too many falls off that pyramid. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I wouldn't want to make that fall. You see them how high they throw them up in the air and then someone misses a catch or <sighs> and there's a certain amount of athletics just having to Who won it today? Who who got it today? Well, there was no wrong answers today because it was your personal opinions, your choice. And your okay, no winners today? We're all losers? We're all losers, no, that's right. Um, there's one winner, and you know who that is. That would be, that would be the audience. Oh, Scott. The audience wins, you know, all, every day. So. There you go. Good stuff, Scott. Thanks, man. Let's get back to the Gary Aid Show on the Cave, Orange County's conversation station. All right, we're back, and we have uh, Rich Anselmo getting ready to join us. We got a little bit of everything today. We got Hakuna Matata. We got uh, Surfing USA. Um, Belize, the angry tenor of the opening part of the show. So uh, very laid-back songs. Not exactly laid-back tenor of the show today, though. We've got a laid-back guest coming up now, Rich Anselmo. If his voice doesn't soothe you, I don't know what will. That's right. That's uh, He's our, uh, he's our uh, John the Baptist on this show. <laughs> I'm always relaxed. That's, that's, that's right. <laughs> I love it. Um, now, um, Rich, we got the NHL playoffs kind of coming full circle here. And actually, before we get into that, I think I'll take this opportunity to make this cool announcement. Uh, Cave Talk Radio has secured an exclusive interview with uh, NHL rookie Nick Abruzzisi, who is from Slate Hill, New York, right around the corner from our studios here in downtown Middletown. And he will be joined, uh, he'll be joining us, we'll actually be recording the interview later today. It will air tomorrow during the show, probably in the second hour. I'm thinking 11.34, and Rich will be doing the interview with me. So definitely tune in for that. It's going to be really cool to get Nick's perspective on his first few games in the NHL, uh, particularly as it relates to losing to the Sabres last night. I'm just kidding, but still. 
Um, yeah, don't bring that up. Harvard graduate too, right? <laughs> Harvard graduate, yes. It's quite a feeder yeah. program. So we'll get into everything with Nick. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Rich is going to ask him a lot of hockey questions, and I'm going to ask him a lot of Orange County questions. So we're going we're gonna to find out <laughs> what his favorite spots were. Uh, I, I'm curious to know where he liked to hang out, what he liked to eat, what, what were his favorite places around the county. Uh, we'll get to know him a little bit. Obviously, we'll ask him some hockey questions as well. That's coming up tomorrow. Um, but right now, Rich, let's talk some some playoff hockey. Uh, give, give us some of these matchups. I know, um, obviously, early rounds like the N- like the NBA just kind of getting going. Uh, what are some big picture storylines for this hockey postseason that people should be paying attention to? Well, early rounds are normally a little different than the NBA, just because the sports are so diametrically opposed. A good goaltender can steal a series, yes, if they are hot. And there's a lot of eight versus one upsets. I don't know if either's going to happen this year. When you and I talked in October, do you remember who I told you that who would be facing each other for the Stanley Cup? In my opinion, did you say Calgary? No. Okay. I don't. But that wouldn't have been a bad bet. I said Colorado and Florida. Florida. Okay. They're each leading their conference with 110 points, and mm. I don't see them losing that in these last two weeks. These are tough times because so many teams are playing games against teams who are out of it. Uh, last night's game was not an example because Buffalo played very well, and I did tune in to watch Abrazisi play and made some notes. But when you get a real good team against the tanking team, it can be brutal. But I don't see a lot of tanking. I I, I see a lot of teams. uh, Vegas lost to Vancouver last night. And Nashville played San Jose, who's out of it. And they had to go to overtime to win one nothing. So these games are still interesting. But every now and then you get like two flavors of possible playoff teams. The Avalanche, the best team in the West, faced the LA Kings tonight. Avalanche didn't play. The right. Kings had to beat the Blackhawks last night. So that's going to be interesting. And the Kings are desperate. They are seated in the playoffs as of now, but that's very tenuous. The East, I see. Yeah, I was going to say, what's the stronger uh, conference this year? Because obviously in the NBA, the East is the deeper conference this year, but maybe the West is a little bit more wide open. Which conference do you think is going to be a little bit more uh, entertaining come playoff time in the NHL? I think the West. Only because if you look at three really good hockey teams, Nashville, the LA Kings, who just lost Drew Doughty, a great defenseman for the year. And the Vegas Golden Knights, one of them's probably not going to make it. I can't say which one, although Vegas is doing themselves no favors. But some of the matchups there, Calgary out west is playing amazing hockey. St. Louis Blues all of a sudden are in the fourth seed, and they're pretty pretty well-established at that spot. 
on a six-game winning streak. Uh, the Minnesota Wild are in third. Edmonton is playing really, really well. There's not a bad, no matter who gets in, a bad one to eight matchup in the West. Is there a team in the East? Yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. In the East. Well, no. Go ahead with this point. No, I, I, I was going to say, is there a team? You know, they always talk uh, during the NBA playoffs. They always talk about what team the league, quote unquote, wants to be there, and all this other stuff. Is there a team uh, in this field from a commercial standpoint that would benefit the NHL the most to represent either conference? Is there like a team that the league would be, quote-unquote, rooting for from a business interest standpoint? Like any league, the league is better when the, when the Rangers and the Los Angeles Kings are viable. The Rangers will be a playoff team. And again, it's still up in the air with the Kings. Um, and I don't know if they have a favorite because Tampa Bay won it the last two years. Mm-hmm. And that's not actually a market I would promote. And Florida, an incredible team, 110 points, 52 wins with nine games to go. There's nights they still play in front of friends and family. Wow. That's crazy. I don't even know. I don't even know why that franchise is there. Why, why does Tampa Bay have any sports teams? Like, other than, like, I guess the Bucks, But, like, I mean, the the Rays have, like, ten people a game. It's probably the same ten people that go to Rays and Lightning games. <laughs> and they're good. <laughs> I mean, they're two-time <laughs> defending they're champions, teams, and they right. can't sell games out. That's right. All right. Uh, I don't understand it. So make your point on the East. Uh, we got a up against the top of the hour break here. We got about ninety seconds. The East. I'm looking at the top six seeds: uh, Florida, Carolina, Toronto, the Rangers, Tampa Bay, and Boston. Let's throw seventh seed in there: Pittsburgh. Any one of them can win. Florida's won eight games in a row, so I'm not going to bet against them. But if there's going to be an upset, as the seeding is now. Seven Pittsburgh against two Carolina. Although Carolina's playing well, Penguins have all that cup experience. Yeah, that, that experience, it matters. There's no question about it. Um, good stuff, Rich. Uh, we'll have you back on next week. We'll get some actual predictions on this. Um, but uh, good stuff. It's good to get the uh, set the set the stage here, kind of get primed, and we'll continue on later in the week. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. All right, that's Rich Anselmo. Rich. And now it's time for a quick break. We'll come back. Welcome to the Gary Aid Show on The Cave. Available at ktalkradio.com, the Talk Radio app, Apple CarPlay, or by saying, hey, Alexa, play Talk Radio. Want to join in the conversation? We'd love to hear from you. Call us at 845-734-CAVE. Now, here's your host, Gary Aid. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's time for Kings Off Radio's Top 5. All right, we're back. Hour 2, the Gary Aid Show. It's time for the Top 5. What do we got today, Dave? Dave, you there? 
There we go. Back. There we go. We, uh, top five is going to be NBA playoff related. Okay. Uh, we're going to transition you to the happy place there. And after that, we've got major MLB stuff going on. Adam Cohen's going to be on talking Aaron Judge contract. Kevin Kiernan, of course, talking about his article, Judgment Day, um, about the Aaron Judge New York Yankee situation. So major baseball shift. So we figured we'd get an exclamation point on your NBA basketball. So top five today. Uh, we kind of hit on it early on about, about some players that need to step up. So we want to know your top five players in the NBA playoffs, one to five, one being the most to prove, but the top five players that have the most to prove mm. in the NBA playoffs. Huh. Um, well, I think uh, one and two are Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Uh, they need to make this work. Like I was saying the other day, um, and why uh, – I kind of uh, don't envy them is I think that winning a championship just, you know, is baseline of the expectation for them. And I think that they've put themselves in that situation with the way this team was assembled and the way it's kind of poo-pooed the regular season over the years. Um, I, I think they're one and two for sure. Um, I'm going to say Carl Anthony Towns is number three uh, based off of what I was saying earlier. I mean, he's looked absolutely awful in the playoffs he has been a part of in his career and I, I i he needs to show me something i need to see like even if he just produces his normal level of production for a series like uh, i need to see that like because i've not seen that from him in in the playoffs ever in his career and that needs to change um so he's number three uh number four um you know, I don't know that it's so much prove, but I'd like to see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I'm going to kind of count them as one person for the purposes of this. I'd like to see that Boston duo um, take take this to the next level and really kind of elevate from that young upstart that they were a few years ago to the proven playoff performers who can get it done in crunch time, move their team up the ladder, move them down the line, get them through a series. I would like to see them really take that next step of maturity and just playing with that confidence and that pace and that poise that you see so much from the great veteran players. I mean, you saw it in loss in the loss last night, but Paul George played that way. Um, so I'm looking for that from Tatum and or Brown. Um, so I'll just, for the purposes of it, I'll just say Tatum because he's their number one guy. But um, really, I'm looking for it from both of them. And then number five gets tricky. Um, I'm going to say Joel Embiid. Um, you know, he's coming off maybe an MVP season. And, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's in his late 20s now. And, you know, I think it's time now. I know that they probably got worse with the trade for Harden. Um they haven't been as good since, but I think it's time that for him being as great as he is, that he ends up winning a series or more just based on his own individual greatness. And it's not like the team around him is awful. It's not. So I, I, just, I know a lot of people are kind of writing them off. I, I think this series against uh, Toronto is a statement opportunity for Joel Embiid. I know you really like Toronto. I I don't think that much of him. Uh, I think the I think Embiid 
should be able to go out there and win this thing in five games and really make a statement that, like, you know, I, I need I, I, right now it's going to take a championship contending team to beat me. Uh, I'm at that level of my career. It's time for him to really do that in the playoffs, and I think he will. Um, so, yeah, those are the guys I think have the most to prove in the playoffs among players uh, for sure. I think those are the guys. Right, so you, I mean, this caused fireworks in our house, obviously. And I, this was not our anticipated top five today. We had about five or six others that we've been mulling around. But um, just asked a, that question last night as we were eating dinner after we did some hitting. Um, we, had a, we had a group of like, and it was like 20 kids show up to hit last night during spring break, which was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, every every uh, every night we do situational hitting for the for our group, and everybody. I thought spring break. I gave them the option. They probably thought it was a trick, but they all show up. So we after that we were sitting down eating dinner, which we do every night, and uh, just kind of pose the question: like, Who do you think's got the most to prove tonight? Obviously, because Brooklyn was on, and um, so right away, um, you know, Tanner jumps on James Harden. Which I, I thought was a good good choice. He's got to prove that he can be a, a winner in the playoff time. And I didn't, even, I didn't even think about him. That's yeah. how that's how far gone he is in my mind. Yeah. That's a good one. That's my daughter Peyton's favorite player. Fear the beard. She loves him. Okay. Um, now, so Peyton obviously comes right back at Tanner. Tanner's favorite player is Kyrie, so she hammers him with Kyrie. Oh, no. and, uh, oh boy! I see where this is going. So Tanner deflects because my daughter Harper laughed. So her favorite player is Luka Doncic, so he came at Luka Doncic like that. And, uh, you know, my older son, Blue, is kind of a – he likes to, to kind of hit and run, I call it. He slowly tweaks and runs away. So he's kind of egging it on, not looking at people. And so they all came at him with KD because he likes to rant. And, um, and then so I just kept quiet. My wife and I kept quiet for a while, and they couldn't come after either one of us. They kept bickering. And I'm like, okay, we kind of deflected to, to mom and dad. And they know, one, that my, my wife and I – my wife likes Boston – um, I've always, you know, again, I root for whoever's paying me, but, um, right. I, I like the way the heat run their organization. So they couldn't really attack anybody on the heat because they're kind of, you know, they kind of mesh. There's no real star there. Other maybe Jimmy Butler has something to prove. They had already picked on, uh, you know, Kyrie. So they came after her with the Tatum Brown thing. And then of course she, that's five. And I said, that's five. That's done. We're good. But of course she had to deflect on me. And then my, my selection of uh, Toronto being the the sleeping giant in the playoffs. So they said, and it's funny that I was like, "Who are we going to pick on on Toronto?" I mean, who Pascal Siakam? I mean, he. So anyway, they 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 hit me with with Siakam, which was kind of like, you know, <laughs> who cares? But that was there. So they went after. I mean, it was in, in good choices, but they all happened to be their favorite players. Harden was the first one picked, then uh, Kyrie, then um, we had Luca. And then my older one likes Clay Thompson and Durant, but they didn't pick on Clay because he's been hurt. But I said, that's something he's got to prove. He's, you know, arguably a top 75 player of all time. He was left off the list, but, you know, he's been injured and he was at the top of his game and that, that could be one, but they, they went after Durant, which is valid. Then they went after the old Tatum Brown attack, which you brought up too. And then, of course, I got hit with Pas Pascal Siakam, which really, that hurt me really badly, right? I've got such an emotional <laughs> The Pascal Siakam. Oh, man, that's a good I said, one. if anybody can tell me what his number is, then you can, it's a great argument. Um, and uh, so anyway, yeah, so that was our – that was our. Oh, that's, that, that was that's, a, that's a funny one. Three-minute fireworks. And we weren't anticipating that happening. It's just something I brought up because the playoffs were getting ready to get on. And I said, I've got a phone call at you know, 6.30. It's going to take me right up to game time, set it up, put my notes there for me. So they all set that up, and we were sitting around to watch it. 
Oh, and, that's uh, tremendous. Popcorn ready, but didn't nothing, nothing, no dinner is without fireworks. So that's a part of being Italian, I guess. That's right. Fireworks and meatballs. That's right. Um, we had meatballs last night too. So oh, getting meatballs. See, look at that. <laughs> How about the total stereotype, right? I'm telling you, we just went the whole the lights way. were dim. We did a couple favors. <laughs> yep, that's right. You must have had the loaf of bread with the uh, with yeah. the butter oh, too. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. We loafed down from Tofino's restaurant down the road. We got our Italian bread freshly made. I granted some favors because it wasn't my daughter's wedding day. I can, you can never refuse on your daughter's wedding day. So oh. one of the rules. So yeah, that was our oh, top five. We, we battled last night with it. Um, and uh, it was good because they were all valid answers, but it was all, all the answers I thought was funny were out of like anger and spite. <laughs> and, right. It was like, it was there and, and they got, they got pissed. And then they came out the next one. It was, it was like a total deflection. It was, uh, and it was, it was bang, bang, bang too. It wasn't like thought was going on that mold over. This was probably, it was, I was probably a 45 to 60 second round table. Mm. Uh, it sparked anger. I guess that's top five right there. If I ever seen one. That's, so. that's right. Now, a um, couple of other bits of news here while we have a second. So, believe it or not, it's six years ago today that Kobe Bryant scored 60 points in this final game of his NBA career um, against the Utah Jazz. So, that's uh, today's the anniversary of that. Pretty crazy. And then, um, last night, someone glued themselves to the court. Did you see that? What? Yeah, there, no. it was in the... Um, I think it was in the... Uh, the Washington, not the Washington, the Minnesota game. Um, they glued themselves to the court on purpose. <laughs> you know, as I was I trying to figure out, so so a woman glued herself to the floor in protest during a Clippers Timberwolves game. Okay. Because you know, whenever I'm mad at someone and they want to protest, the first thing I do is glue myself to the floor. So I have to get like my skin peeled off to get my hand back. So she ruined a good pair of pants. <laughs> I, I think it was her uh, her own skin. Like I think she oh. like, glued her hand. Yeah, it was stupid. Glued her. What, hand. What That's what I'm trying to figure out here. It's all over the place. Um, clear rational thinking. She was protesting against clear rational thinking. Yes, it must have been. So oh. the woman's name Alicia Santoro walked onto the court during the second quarter of the Timberwolves game and tried to glue herself to the floor under the basket. Um. According to her press release, um, her shirt displayed the message, Glenn Taylor roasts animals alive. Okay, so she was protesting the owner. She's probably some crazy oh. PETA lady. Roast animals alive? I don't okay. know. Does he have a pig yeah. roast or something? I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, oh, no. there's got to be a better way to get your point across than that, I would think. Minnesota finally made the playoffs. I mean, just let's... <laughs> Celebrate. That's right. Oh my God, this is a that was a sticky situation, I suppose. Oh, what a mess! I, I would change my answers to that top, the one that Scott gave us. With I, I transport myself into the future, and no more idiot acts during games. Just, <laughs> yeah, get rid of the people that glue themselves to the court. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, yeah. I have no response to that other than they should have just left her to let her get dunked. <laughs> Couple times. Yeah, you let a seven foot, three hundred pound guy dunk on you. That's right, land on you after he falls down, that, right? Quickly, that adhesive comes off. You'll be peeling your own self off that oh, knuckleheads. Oh man, people are people are special. Um, by the way, um, so we mentioned the uh, interview we have with Nick Abrazisi coming up tomorrow, but also um, we will be in attendance. 
for the season opener of the Hudson Valley Renegades on Tuesday. So that was, that's going to be a lot of fun, uh, weather yeah. permitting. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, me, the family, a few other f- friends. Uh, Rob's going to be there, Phil, Richie. So it's going to be a, the whole crew. Oh, nice. We've, we've got some breaking NFL news, too, right what now. What do we got? Derek Carr, Oakland made a commitment to him, or Oakland, Las Vegas made a commitment to him, new, new head coach. Um, gave him a three-year over, I think it was $106 million extension wow. on his contract. So Derek Carr is the quarterback for Las Vegas. In the future, a little speculation as to, you know, they, they, they hired the offensive guru from New England, his second go-around as a, as a head coach. He was Denver's head coach when uh, they, they, he drafted Tim Tebow. But uh, Derek Carr has been a, been a nice NFL quarterback. I thought he progressed well under Gruden and was about to, to blow up in a good way. They just signed some great players in the offseason with Adams as their new new uh, number one target as a wideout. So big commitment from Las Vegas to Derek Carr, three-year, over $100 million him. on his contract. And, yeah, yeah I think well-deserved. He's, he's earned it. Yeah, he came in, had a tough go in the beginning, not because of him, but he stuck with, with the Raiders, and they stuck with him. And um, I really liked how he grew under Gruden. I think that was a great uh, yes, a great connection. I wish Gruden was there longer, but I'm glad they committed to him. And in all honesty, like who who would they sign? The you know the he's I think top third you would say right in quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, well that's just it. He's definitely one of those guys that like okay, there's definitely better guys than him, but it, uh, can get one of them. Like, and if you can't, which you almost never can, then you're better off just keeping them. Because like yeah, the chances of drafting and developing a guy who's significantly better than Derek Carr are pretty small. Yeah, tough, no. tough division they're in. They, they have to have a good quarterback in that division. Um, but I, I think I think Las Vegas, you're looking at, they've been gradually progressing you know, with this movement, and I don't think McDaniels will slow down with them. I, I, I would put uh, 10 and a half wins as an over-under would be a tough call for me. I think they'll be right around that 10-11 win total this year. Yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, and we'll We'll get to that probably in the next couple of weeks as we uh, start looking at um, the NFL draft, which is twenty eighth, really right around the corner. Yeah, a couple of weeks away. Yeah, we'll do we'll do heavy draft coverage not next week, but the week after, leading up to the draft. And um, we've already got Tanner's got his mock draft four point already. So four mock drafts. Oh, wow. He's already, he got to two rounds yesterday. So that's his his. Uh, it's hard to do with two rounds. So he did two. And of course, we sit around and pick it apart. I send it to people in the sporting industry to kind of give them real, real-time feedback. So he's going through his uh, notes today to see where Tanner was right and where Tanner was wrong. But as I told you, his website is you know www.imright.com. So Tanner's never wrong. He'll argue back with NFL executives, um, you know, as if he has a seat at the table. And apparently, he does because he's communicating with him more than I am um, using my my text message and email. So good for good for him. Good for Tanner. That's right. Pretty good. I thought he did a good job. He's uh, he's higher on these quarterbacks, I think, than most are. He's done a lot of. He does film breakdown. He's not just guessing, um, but he thinks his quarterback class is better than what people are believing. Who's his and, favorite one? Is it Pickett? Well, he, he he depending upon he's he's very much depending upon the situation. I I, I believe uh, I don't. I think he believes someone's going to move up in the top ten to take one because that's the nature of the beast. And a picket to Carolina situation isn't all too um, – it, it's possible. And then if that's the case, then the kid from Liberty is going to be a high, uh, a hot commodity. I can't see – Pittsburgh, I think, is picking 20th. I can't see both of those kids being around that long. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think he, he believes, he loves both of them. He thinks both are going to be, he, he likens the kid from Liberty to a right-handed Michael Vick. And Vick was, uh, you know, a tremendous athlete, cannon for an arm, a little undersized, but believes he, if he came in and had an opportunity to sit for a year in a, in a good situation, maybe like a Pittsburgh where they've got Trubitsky already, um, you know, he could come in and sit for a year, learn, and then take over. That would benefit him. But Pickett, I mean, Pickett's had the necessary number of starts. He's, you know, 24 years old. He's older than a lot of these NFL quarterbacks already. And he's had 40 plus starts, which the magic numbers usually, you know, around, you want at least 24 to 28 starts. I'm under center. So unlike, you know, Trey Lance in San Francisco, who had one right. uh, as a kid. So yeah, but he likes, he likes them both. And, and uh, the, the surprise one, he say likes Corral uh, from Ole Miss. Um, very high on the kid from Cincinnati. Um, both he thinks of those will be, you know, early second rounders. And, uh, but thinks New Orleans could make a push for the kid, Matt Corral from Ole Miss. So we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll let him unveil that list uh, maybe when we come back the next week, and he can he can uh, I'll unveil it for him on the show and uh, send it to you preview so we can pick it apart live on him and make him sit there and stew without a without a headset. You're at you're at you're asking for it, Dave. While we while we dust it up on him, but it's pretty solid. I, he has he has rationale. That's the good thing I like about it. he has rationale for every spot. He understands the rosters. He understands. What they're going to need a year or two from now. So there's, there's very little picks where he just said, well, I just felt that. I think he knows because I'm a pain in the rear end because of the nature of the business that I'm in where I have to have reasons. Otherwise clubs lose money and then I don't get to go to work on Tuesday. That's the case. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, yeah, so he's got rationale fall, but very impressed with it. Uh, he'll do the NBA one next once the NFL's over. He's already, he's already peeking around. Um, I think he put together the top 170. In, in order prospects for the NBA draft. So we have people calling all the time trying to get, you know, heads ups on that. And I just like, Tanner, pull your list out. I double check it. And, you know, I said, I agree with it. Send them off a range. It's between, you know, 120, 128 right now. Here's the teams to target type of things with your workouts. So um, he's right on that stuff. I, I give him a lot of credit. He's a very good right hand man with that. There you go. Being well trained. All right. Um, let's take a quick break. We got Adam Cohen around the corner talking some baseball, Yankees. Specifically, the Aaron Judge situation. We'll get his take on that, and we'll continue on from there. It's the Gary H. Show, Kevin Kernan later on as well from Ball9.com. Back after this here on the Cave. Join the Gary H. Show right now. Call 845 734 734 2283 or download the Cave Sports Talk, The Gary H. Show on Cave Talk Radio. All right, we're back. Um, no Adam Cohen just yet, uh, but let's talk some Aaron Judge, Dave. Um, I mean, this is this is weird to me because, I mean, he's clearly the face of their franchise. He's clearly the guy they, they claim to be building around. Why, why take this approach? I mean, it was like a public thing at the 11th hour. They had to know, like, almost 100% certain it wasn't going to get accepted under those circumstances and do nothing but make people angry. So that had to be the goal. So the question is why? Why was their goal to make their marquee guy mad at them in a walk year? Like, like what's the uh, – there's got to be logic behind this. Yeah, I, I think – the Yankees lost. I think the front office lost this one. I think Judge lost on this. And I think the fans won, temporarily anyway. 
because he's, you know, he's going to have one of those FU years, right? It's a contract year. He's going to play 150 games, 100, you know, 40, 50 games this year. And, uh, he's going to be lights out. That's pretty much, you can put that in the books. It's that type of, it just happens that way. He's focused on betting on himself. He has every right to do that. And I think what, what happened with the negotiation, the timing of it was a little, we talked about that in there. I thought poor on the Yankees part presenting it. I'm sure it was presented behind the scenes, but I'm hoping it was. Uh, but to put it out in the public two hours before opening day's first pitch, knowing that that was the deadline, that was a PR move on their part to say, oh, you know, see, we, we gave them seven years, 230 million. The average person, you know, someone offers you a quarter of a billion dollars. You know, it's, it's hard for us to look away from that. So we can't even understand that kind of money. So, uh, you know, look, they look negatively. Well, why wouldn't Judge take that? He's, you know, 30, going to be into his 37 year. But Judge is looking for, I, th- I think he wanted more annual. And he also wanted more years. So I was thinking, I think he was looking in the 300 million range. And I think he was looking for eight to nine years. A little tough for them to do. Uh, I think. You know, I, I'm glad Judge is betting on himself. It's every athlete's right to do. Somebody's going to give him the eight years. And I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the middle there with it. I, I think it was a pretty fair offer for a guy who's only averaged 115 games a year. Yep. I think the timing of it was poor. And I think that, I will not even call it a strategy. I think the tactic of it was poor. I think that's the part I'd be rubbed wrong if I were Judge. Uh, from a Yankee standpoint, you know, him poo-pooing at a quarter of a billion dollars, you know, playing 115 games a year, they're probably thinking like, okay, take it or leave it. We can get another star to play 140 games. But he was born a Yankee. He was bred a Yankee. They've likened him to that Jeter type of personality where he's he's good in the, the clubhouse. He's an even-keeled guy. He's, he's good off the field, and he plays the game the right way. And he's a, he's a next-level athlete. You don't see guys that big, that strong. Um you know, be able to, to do the things that he can do. We saw him play, you know, he can play every outfield position. He played center field last week and did it, did it well. I think he could be moved into first base over time if they want to save him. And of course, the DH gives him ample opportunity to get half a day rest anyway, where he doesn't have to play the field. So I, I, the problem I have is I'm not clear with what the Yankees want, what their ideal scenario. Obviously, they're happy with seven years, 231 million. So, you know, do the math on that. You're looking at an annual of over 30 million a year. Um, but you see guys like, you know, Juan Soto, who's younger. Um, you know, these guys that are younger are getting more, you know, more years and more average salary. So seven years is probably going to be the sweet spot, but he's going to do the Freddie Freeman thing. Kind of about the same age. Uh, Freeman was, I think has been healthier over the long haul and probably more consistent, but he's going to shoot for that eight year and, I look at a team like the Angels, uh, who seem to be needing more and more pitching. If Judge could pitch, that'd be great. But, you know, he's a California kid, too. Um, don't count out the Dodgers. They seem to have no problem overspending and bringing in an all-star lineup. But And, and even the Padres. So this is not going to get resolved until the end of the season and probably long into the off season. But the likelihood of Judge coming back to the Yankees, I think, is less and less every day. What would you put that number on right now? Is it fifty-fifty? Is it better than fifty-fifty? Come back. Yeah, I, I think he's out the door. I think he saw what happened to Freddie Freeman and the Braves, and that got prolonged because of the you know the the strike and the lockout, or the lockout, I should say, not the strike. But uh, you know, Freeman talked to him. 
they're friends and he's you know his judge was very vocal about it he told me there's no loyalty and I think that I believe judge felt the Yankees had ample time there wasn't like this contract coming up was a surprise you know they were part of it the first time around and he's he's feel slighted that's the the bottom line very evident in his comments and he pushed pushed things off to Brian Cashman I think he wants to be a Yankee I, I don't believe there's any question about that it's just a matter of how the Yankees approach the next contract but the next go round there's going to be competition and you can see that number get pushed up because now people have the that's going to be the baseline seven years 231 everybody knows the number they have to beat so once you know that number I'm sure his agent's talking to people all year in, in a non-tampering kind of way but uh, those conversations are happening and don't be surprised if they push for a trade um, somewhere during that you know right around the all-star break to to try to just twist a little bit on the Yankees let them know he's we have no problem leaving uh, maybe putting it out in the in the media I think that'd be a bad move on judges part because he has such a good reputation I think he wins the PR war in New York yeah I don't think that's a good move for him either I agree and I also agree with what you said a minute ago I think that was a I mean the circumstances were horrible the intent maybe was nefarious to some degree but the bottom line of that offer the Yankees made, albeit under crazy circumstances, I, I do agree is is probably fair, uh, if not generous. I mean, it. this is a guy, like you said, averages 115 games a year. And let's be honest, his best year by far was his rookie season. I mean, like, you know, it, has he gotten... Uh, has he gotten better over the course of his career? Uh, has he improved the team's fortunes? Has he drawn new talent? Like, uh, is he one of those guys that people want to go play with? Like, I don't, I, I'm asking these questions rhetorically. I don't necessarily know the answer to some of them, but like, I do know his best year was as a rookie. I do know that since yeah. his like second year, the team has been stuck in you know sort of a quagmire. They've been sort of uh, I won't say mediocre, I and mean, they've been a playoff team, but they've been kind of stuck in place. They haven't gone anywhere. They haven't grown. They haven't advanced. Um, so now, obviously, baseball is a sport where you, you can't have one guy can't do it. That's just the nature of the sport. We know that. So I'm not going to put that on Judge, but at the same time, the availability question is valid. I mean, I don't want to tie up that type of contract into someone who is not available i mean i just it's just that's the risk with these long-term contracts right like they just aren't predictable and the one thing you want to be able to uh say is you want to be able to look at it and say okay um the guy's gonna play you know like when you when you offer a contract extension to someone like when the time comes, Pete Alonso, he's been very healthy so far throughout his career. When you look at some other guys, Freddie Freeman's another guy hasn't missed a lot of time. So he's certain guys you're more comfortable with those contracts than others. And Judge isn't one of those guys. Yeah, I, you know, I was torn because Kevin's going to talk more about it when he comes on. Adam had the push to tomorrow. He'll come on and discuss his topic. He's got a story he's working on and deadline. Um, but but Kevin Kiernan will talk about it with Judgment Day, and I know where he stands. I mean, he's 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 100% in Judge's corner. And 
I am too. I always tend to side with the player. Maybe that's my bias. I haven't been a, a player, but I think the offer was, I think the offer itself was fair. I think the timing was awful. Um, but I believe the Yankees are shrewd. I don't believe they put a number on the table that they thought he'd accept and they were surprised that he didn't. Right. Uh, there, there's no way that they would ever enter a negotiation that way. Uh, I believe they knew he would turn it down. I believe they knew he'd bet on himself. And, you know, do they win either way? I guess if he comes out and busts it up for the Yankees and they win a World Series this year and it's kind of like I showed you, they win. Um, he wins the MVP, same thing, but he could walk because of that and the price could go up, which I'm sure they'd be glad to pay. And I think if he has another season where it's 115 games, you may see that offer get lower um, in terms of years, maybe more annual salary, but less than years. So, I, I, you know, in terms of strategy, I don't like the way they did it. But I think the Yankees put themselves in a position where if they see him as a commodity instead of a, a person, they, they may be in the driver's seat because, like I said, if he, if he kills it this year, they win. They're going to have to pay more, and they're probably willing to do that. They just didn't want to offer it now. And if he does poorly and has a 100-game season and he, or he struggles you know, at the plate, they could come in with less. So I'm sure they're prepared to pay premium dollar for him. I don't think they're prepared right now, and they're, they're rolling the dice to see. They could lose them, but I'm guessing they're okay with that at a certain price point. Right. Judge, I think. Well, I think I, when he turned that down, he's got to be top three in MVP right now, American League, in terms of potential to win it, mm. because he's 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 pissed off every at bat, and I don't think anger is a bad emotion. I really don't. And again, that's the Italian in me. I think if you uh, certain guys can, you know, you tell kids and coaches don't coach angry, don't play angry. But there's certain kids and there's certain players that can play a little angry. You know, I, I, we talk about Tanner a lot. That's my message. And play a little angry today. He can do it. Um, Judge, I think, because of his even keel, I think he can do it. And, you know, we'll see. I, I hope he gets $300 million. I hope he kills it this year. Gets a 10-year $300 million. Now, that may handicap the Yankees um, because of the stamp contract. But let me ask you, would you rather have Cole or Judge? Cole. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. I, I, for, the, for the exact same reason we're talking about is he's generally available um, and I think that the other thing is if Judge goes out and has a big year like you're saying that doesn't make me more comfortable to lock him up for 10 years at 30 million a year just because he was healthy this year he's still got right. 8 years of track record saying that's not going to be the norm so now okay he's got his money Not I'm not saying he's going to dog it that's not what I'm saying at all but like What's what's to say he doesn't return to to norm? And now, because uh, I guess in my mind, this is the way I would have to look at it if I'm the Yankees. I'm taking the average of these last seven years and saying that's what I'm paying for for the next seven. That that's my expectation. So what value, monetarily and length year wise, do I place on that? Because I'm not paying him for his best season. Or his worst season, I'm paying him for his average season. So, do do I expect his all of a sudden as he approaches 30 to go from playing 115 games a year to 155? Not really. So I'm with you. You know, I, say, I bet you get 90 the year right. after his sign. Right. <laughs> so so what am I willing to pay for what I what I actually expect? If I get a a year or two in there, that's amazing. Awesome. But, like, what am I actually going to get year to year? And I think you have to assume 
you're going to get equal to or less of the average he's already established over the previous seven years over the next seven. I mean, uh, guys don't generally get healthier as they get older. Right. No, it's... And he's in that... uh He's in that age bracket now. That twenty-eight to thirty-two is kind of your prime years as a as a baseball and a basketball player. Right. He's at thirty right now. Right. He's twenty-nine, going to be thirty this year. So they got two more prime years, and then you're kind of hit that down that down cycle a little bit. Unless that move to first base helps him out. But yeah, I, I think the track record is tough. Um, but I, I like Aaron Judge's player, and ironically, that's Tanner's favorite major league player. Aaron Judge loves him, and I asked him. I said, if he's not a Yankee, is he still your favorite player? And uh, he couldn't answer, so it's uh, it's interesting. Judge is a judge. I think is a good one. I just would like to see him play 140 games a year. You know, that's, I think that's a that's a good number for an outfielder. Um, you know, it's not Ripken esque, right? 162 over 18 years, but uh, <clears throat> nowadays that's that seems to be the the number that guys shoot for 140. Right. You know, and, and and look, if he was getting a 140 to 145 every year, I I don't think this conversation would be being had. No, not at all. It's it's stuck on that, and the average game is about 115 a year. Yeah, that's not enough for a guy that you're paying that amount of money. Yeah. So, and, and have that much invested in. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, and then we got Kevin Kernan coming up in a little while. Judgment Day. We'll continue the conversation with him. That's next here on the Cave. You're listening to The Gary Aid Show on The Cave, Orange County's conversation station. All right, we're back, and uh, we'll wait on Kevin Kerning here uh, from Ball 9, former New York Post columnist, uh, talking Aaron Judge, his latest article on Ball9.com. Check it out, Judgment Day. It gives a uh, nice commentary on the recent contract that they offer that Judge, of course, didn't accept that Dave and I were just talking about. So we'll get his take on that. Um, bring him on right now, as a matter of fact. And again, our guest, uh, Kevin Kernan, Ball9.com. Judgment Day is the latest article uh, up there right now. Uh, check it out. And um, Kevin, uh, you know, it's funny. Dave and I were just talking about this, and um, it, it's not one of those situations where the Yankees bumbled this and stumbled and like this caught them by surprise. This was very calculated. Uh, they might blow up in their face, but but this wasn't an accident. <laughs> no. Um, and, and again, the whole key here with Aaron Judge and, and most fans, and I get it, you know, nine out of ten fans are going to say right off the bat, how could you, you know, 30 main a year, whatever. Right. Seven years. Uh, what are you crazy? And it is. It's, the numbers are crazy, but every player is pretty much crazy. And uh, there's a lot going on here. The Yankees obviously let let the numbers out to embarrass and turn the tide of PR against Judge. And if you notice, even the other night he got booed um, a little bit, yeah, and that, that rarely that. happens with Judge. So, so the Yankees are a cold, calculating organization always have been always will be US, it's been like that since USS Steel days in the 50s so yeah, right, right. so the bigger story here is that Judge has been their their um, their money guy for years they've made so much money off him between jerseys uh, you know uh, uh, the, the fans who love him you know the, the section and the ballpark for him and they never through all those years, other teams are signing Acuna, other teams are signing Wanda Franco, you know, 
and um, the Judge never got really any kind of offers from the Yankees. Like, uh, if the Yankees were smart, they would have signed Judge, you know, three years ago right. for maybe a hundred million, and he, I'm sure, he would have went after it at the time. And and I, you know, every year I would go in to see him in spring training, or you know, when the season started, and. Uh, my, my little joke with him was this, oh, hey, Judge, you have the Yankees off your contract yet? And he would just laugh. Yeah, I uh, was reading that piece <laughs> in, the, in the article. Yeah, like I could just see his face when I was reading that. I could visualize this look on his face like, yeah, of course not. Exactly, exactly. So I know and I get it that the numbers are crazy, but at the same time, they pushed him this far. So why in the world wouldn't he become a free? He'd be crazy not to, right. you know, and I... I, I've spoken to people close to him, and um, you know everything I wrote was accurate. You know, and uh, and nobody's writing that kind of stuff. They're all, you know, because everybody wants to be beholden to Cashman. You know, it's a it's a tough situation covering a team now. You you have to have the the GM has to tell you stuff. So uh, you know, everybody uh, kind of just went with the flow. But in my mind, the Yankees have have made a bad situation worse, and. He may very well come back and sign with them, but by but by and it's key guy by declining it. There's really no downside other than the, the pressure, and I think he can handle the pressure. But uh, you know the Yankees, if they come back to him after the season again, they're going to offer the same deal at least. So, so it's not he's it's only going to go up if he wants to stay with the Yankees. My question is, being a Northern California guy, you know the way the Giants have turned things around, and who knows what they would spend. But I, I don't know if it just comes down to dollars and cents. It may come down to how which, you know how the organization is, uh, where he feels more comfortable, maybe he wants to go play closer to home. Uh, he, you know, you know the family obligations. Uh, where does his family want to play? I think if if all things considered, he would love to stay a Yankee and um, remain a Yankee. But the Yankees have to prove. This is the guy too. Let's not forget too. There's been some injury situations, but. They didn't do the best when when he broke that rib at the top of his and uh, and that, that dive. They really had trouble figuring out what was wrong, and that took months too. So, so if you add up all the little pieces, you can understand where Judge is coming from. And I totally uh, believe he he has the uh, he has the right to become a free agent. He's chosen that right, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Well, you kind of um, started uh, tiptoeing near what I was going to ask next, Kevin, which is this. Um, obviously, we understand that the way free agency works since that's the w- way this is headed now, is the the more demand you have for your services, the more teams that are in on you at the price point you want, the, the better your odds as the player, obviously. Uh, so my question is, who in your mind uh, stake out to be the Yankees' top competition for Judge in terms of trying to vie for his services? Because obviously other teams will be interested. He's a great player. Uh, who are those teams in your mind that that might drive up the price of poker, so to speak, for the Yankees on Judge? Well, to me, the natural one would be the Giants, and if if the A's were run right, that would be another one. But the Giants being, uh, you know, out there, and they make, you know, don't forget the Giants paid, you know, they paid what they had to pay for uh, Barry Bonds, and yep. you know, top teams will pay um, uh, for the quality. So that's one. But I, I also think that. Depend, and it all depends on the year. You know, he's betting on himself. That's the bottom line here. That's the kind of year he has. If he has a crappy year, then his numbers will go down. It'll go down. Right, right. But um, if he if he has a normal judge year and stays healthy, um, it, it'll go up. And you know, the, the Mets, you know, the Mets could turn around. You know, 
uh, you know, and, and go for that kind of player. Oh, my. It, it, you read my mind. Wouldn't that just be so <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I knew Gary asked the pointed question. The, uh, <laughs> the, the Yankees used to be able to get away with this in the past because they had nobody around them. That would pressure exactly. them. Obviously, if you only pay, you know, Seager made a ton of money. He's been injured, but he's younger. Um, the West Coast was my guess because I'm being a California kid, but how big a player do you think the Mets will be in this offseason, even if just to keep driving up the price on him? Well, yeah, there's no downside for the Mets. They could drive up the price. I, I think they could be a huge player, and it depends on the season that he has. Now, now, you know how it goes with Yankees and Mets fans. They don't like each other anyway. But this would this would this would be this would be an incredible, incredible. <laughs> that would go a happening. long way to solving that problem, wouldn't it? Oh my! Can you imagine a Yankees Mets series, and uh, you know, with Judge wearing the Mets colors? I mean, oh. come on! I mean, it, it, and but if. You know how players talk. I mean, does you know? Did you ever expect Lindor to get three hundred and what did he get? Three forty one. I remember all bunch of together after one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the other thing is, and this is very important. Judge looks around the club, you know, the field. Derek Cole came from somewhere else, got a ton of money. Even a guy, thirty six year old Josh Donaldson, is getting a ton of money. You know, the Yankees need to take care of their own at some point, and. Uh, and uh, so, so yeah, it, it it lends itself for a great drama. We'll see where it goes. He could very easily, at the end of the year, sign back with the Yankees and remain a Yankee for life, and, and that would not shock me. But nothing else would shock me too, because uh, baseball is weird. I mean, the way they—it's uh, like who, who can figure anything out anymore? Like Cortez is pitching a great game, and they take him out four and a third innings, and uh, they win the game, but. You know, nothing matters. The way the players, in some ways, they're treated financially unbelievable. Don't get me wrong. But from when it comes to the old school day, could you imagine taking out a pitcher who was dealing, you know, two outs away from getting a W? I mean, they don't, they don't care anymore. They don't right. care about anything they do anymore. And, you know, and here's one thing, too. I didn't realize it because I, I, you know, this year. You know what it costs to go to uh, park at Yankee Stadium now? Take a guess. Oof. 60 bucks. Sixty bucks what? to park the car. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my so, goodness! So I don't want. And again, I don't know who gets that money and where that money goes. But you're, you're already sixty bucks in the hole just to park your car God. at Yankee Stadium. So, yeah. oh, so man, you, and you buy this is a team that's been gouging. Yeah, you, you know, it's just going to cost your arm and leg to go anywhere. And then, and like like a, like one of the baseball people told me, they said, "Why would you want to piss off your, your best player, a kid who's been a model citizen?" And that's essentially what they did. Now, I get it that it's so much money that like how can you turn it down? But I also get it where you know they never came to me, they never offered anything, uh, they, they made all this money. The Yankees, whatever they pay Judge, they're getting that money back immediately uh, every year because they're getting in, you know. You sell some crappy seats in right fields, but it, you know, judges' chambers, and all of a sudden, that, you know, those prices go up too. That's right. And you add it all up, uh, you know. The, oh, just for the you know, price of the judges' chamber, will pay his daily salary. Exactly, and uh, you know, the ninety-nine jerseys and the uh, the uh, it, it, it's 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 almost like I go all the way back to Tony Gwynn. I you know, sometimes you got to take an undervalued uh, contract to remain, but I think. In the Tony Gwynn days, every year the Padres, every time a contract would expire, they would go to him early and say, "Hey, this is what we want to offer you." And Tony was happy staying there, and that, that's where it's done. But you know, the, you know, Bryce Harper moved. You know, all, all some a lot of great players have moved from one team to another. It happens, and um, 
and, and I could see in Judge's mind, the most important thing is an organization that he can trust and wants to be, be with. And uh, that'll be the bottom line because the money will be pretty similar from a lot of these teams. So it's going to be an organization. So this, a lot's riding on this year. The Yankees have to be successful. Judge has to be successful. And if that happens, then they, they'll, probably, they'll probably have the marriage they'll, forever. They'll, but they'll, kiss, they'll kiss and make up. That's right. Yeah, you can always <laughs> kiss and make up. And uh, $30 million is a lot of money. It is. You know, trout money at 35 a year, you know, that's a lot. That's it's incredible money. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather give it to a guy that I can trust to be a, a model citizen and do what's right for the organization. Uh, than, than taking a chance sometimes on, on the outsiders. So, oh, there's uh, no question. 